What's happening, everybody? The Crash Bang Boom Drumming Podcast has itself a triumphant return with a second episode in what I hope to be an ongoing series where I talk to drum manufacturers. And today we have Scott Jenkins of Jenkins Martin Drums. And in hearing those drums played live by some of my friends, I was definitely curious to talk about their shells, the wild history of them, Hal Blaine, Spun Fiberglass, Alan Blay Meyer, The Wrecking Crew, and the way that all those elements, if you will, are connected. So hope you dig it. Crash Baby Boom Podcast can be found on my SoundCloud YouTube page as well as iTunes Podcast, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, Luminary, and more. Check out my Facebook and Instagram pages for additional content and updates. Please give me a like and or a follow, etc. if you could. Thanks for the support. Shout out to my sponsor, New Orleans Record Press, who's presently pressing a ton of great sound and looking vinyl, and they do 12 and 7-inch records in both 150 and 180 gram variants. They can help you with everything from design to mastering and electroplating, vinyl coloring options, packaging, and more. So check them out, and that's NewOrleansRecordPress.com. Be on the lookout for your favorite artists offering online lessons, master classes, workshops, and more while amidst this touring downtime. I mean, fuck, it's not like Spotify subscriptions are paying their bills, right? Also be on the lookout for fundraisers, charities, and GoFundMes, and websites like SaveOurStages.com who are looking to save the venues that are feeling the burden in these heavy times. Maybe even buy a snare drum designed by today's guest. You know, who knows? Maybe you'll feel inspired. Help any way you can. All right, everybody, Scott Jenkins of Jenkins Martin Drums. What a wild story. They sound badass. They look fucking fantastic. Here we go. Crash, bang, boom. Crowds go mad with joy. All right, Scott Jenkins of Jenkins Martin Drum Company. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right, all things considered. I hear you, man. Uh, thanks for catching up with me. Uh, I know I've told you, but uh, I'm definitely a fan of your drums. Uh, one of your players, so to speak, is a, a good friend and co-host of the Crash Bang Boom podcast and Chris Enriquez. And I remember hearing uh, him playing uh, one of your kits live and being really just impressed with it um and we can definitely uh get into that uh but uh, i am yeah. a fan so it'll be it'll be cool to talk to you about the history of the company and just uh what's been going on and all that to start off with man um how are y'all faring uh during these uh covid times in which we find ourselves man i know i, I spoke to uh uh, Jeremy at Q Drums, and he was saying, while it's been a little right. slow, uh, it, the, one of the, the positive aspects of it is that in people's downtime, they're uh, quite possibly more willing to even buy a snare drum or something to give them extra inspiration. Yeah. So what has been your uh, experience in dealing with this and, and the manufacturing process and everything else? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting kind of the same vibe where they might be broke because of you know, their day jobs or their musical careers going down the tube, Yeah, but they do want to experiment. They need something to keep them entertained and they're buying snare drums. And it just so happened that my partner, uh, David Martin, uh, he ended up moving the shop out of our old location mm-hmm. and we were going to have some downtime anyway. And I had a stack of shells cut off. He sends me large too. Mm-hmm. And I cut them into different links and so we had a stack of those and just said well let's have a moving sale and right when he started looking for a new place to set up you know this this stuff hit and people weren't showing buildings various things conspired against us in finding a new place so we have actually just been selling snare drums and they're moving fairly well nice not making a ton of money and you know (laughs) the whole 
company has more of a labor of love at this point. Yeah. But um, it, it's been it's been fine. I, I can't complain, all things considered. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just sticking to building what we have in, in stock. He has, I think, found a new place to set up, and we'll be, we'll be starting to wind drum, uh, pull kits again. And that's good because we're getting orders backed up. Gotcha. Well, where are we all located previously, and uh, where are the two of you now located in separate places? So I live in Columbia, Missouri, which is where the university is located. Mm. And uh, he lives in basically Cleveland. And so he's staying in Cleveland uh, I tried to talk into moving here, but it didn't work out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's just moving from one location to another. Long story short, he was in a business, uh, a family business, and left that, and that's where the shop was located. Gotcha. And um, just needs to find a new location. Gotcha, gotcha, man. Well, how long have y'all been uh, making these Jenkins Martin drums? Uh, yeah, so I guess, yeah, tell me a little bit about the origins of the company. I know you've got the Blameyer shell uh, sort of inheritance, so to speak, uh, that's at the origins of it. So yeah. g- give me a little rundown of uh, the, the history of the company and maybe how long y'all uh, have been making drums. So Alan Blameyer started it in 1962, basically, is what we've narrowed it down to. My dad talked to him. He worked for the Naval Undersea Center in Pasadena, California. Mm-hmm. He had Parkinson's disease, and my dad was talking to him, mm. so his information was kind of rough. But um, basically, he worked he worked with uh, anti-submarine missile technologies. Wow. We're guessing that he saw some tubes in these ships that were made out of this, you know, spun fiberglass and decided he would like to see how that would work out in an acoustic manner. Wow. And, yeah, so uh, I don't know if he was tapping on them one day and thought, well, this sounds cool and it's, it's resonating or what, but... Yeah, right. So he started winding them, I think, in 1962. Mm. Started just selling shells and wrap. Uh, you know, he was not really interested in making shells that were pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bought whatever resin was on sale that week. So you'll see green, yellow, brown, pink, you know, uh, different colors of uh, resin in the shells. And he sold them with wrap with the intent of them being wrapped. Right. Uh, he was not a, he was not building drums. He was selling shells. And then uh, the shops or builders would buy them from him and, and put whatever hardware they could. Because at the time, you could buy Rogers hardware, Ludwig hardware, Camco hardware. So they weren't Blameyer drum sets, per se, but they were just the shells. Right. He did that for a while uh, and ended up sometime in the 70s, maybe maybe early 80s. He, he quit making them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Wasn't doing much of them. So fast forward to around 2008. Mm-hmm. my dad out in California, uh, his neighbor's getting a divorce and has a bunch of stuff out on the lawn, including a drum set. It's like a Ludwig set. And my dad sent my brother over there and said, uh, hey, why don't you go give him a hundred bucks for that kit so we can strip the hardware off of it? Because he mm-hmm. could tell it wasn't a Ludwig, but he just wanted the hardware. Yeah. So he did that. And I think the guy, he may have just given it to him because he was going to take it to Goodwill or something. Um, <laughs> turns out... So he starts tearing it apart, and he sees these green shells on the inside and, um, of course, realizes they're fiberglass, and it's got the guy's name on a piece of paper embedded in the resin on the inside of it. Looks him up and somehow contacts his wife <laughs> and says, you know, what, what, what's the deal? Like, Tell me about, you know, these shells. And I guess he previously talked to um, Joe Voda, uh, drum store owner, and he said, yeah, yeah, Alan's the fellows back in the day. And, wow. 
So he contacted the wife and said, you know, what can you tell me about these shells? What can you tell me about, you know, Alan and, and what, how he did this? And she said, uh, what, do you want to talk to him? <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, he, I guess he assumed he was dead. Right. Yeah. So that started a, a relationship uh, between the two of them. And my dad, in the meantime, had been tracking down every Blameyer shell he could find and, and started restoring these kits or making new kits out of old stock shells he found. Wow. And um, this was probably, again, probably 2008, 2009. And he kind of just was unearthing all the information he could about these things, mm-hmm. partially because, you know, uh, he quickly realized this was part of the monster kit that Hal Blaine played. Right. And was therefore a significant part of musical history. Yeah. In the meantime, he, my dad had decided, like, you know, I, I want to start making these again. This is a great show. He, he loved what he, the sound he was getting out of them. Mm-hmm. And he, I believe, through one of the drum forums, met David. And David at the time was, was making um, carbon fiber shells. Right. And had an understanding and, and worked in the industry with, with uh, fiberglass and synthetics in general. And was like, you know, trying to figure out if David could make the shells for him. They started kind of going through the process of figuring out how they were made. Alan kind of knew, but a lot of it had escaped him. And and he also kind of put it on my dad. You know, he said, I figured this out. You can figure it out. Wow. (laughs) You know, he he told him bits and pieces, but um, he didn't lay the whole thing out for him. I don't know if he he could. Mm Mm-hmm. But they, they got, you know, chemical analysis. They, they tracked down the original filament and started developing these shells. And at a certain point, David just said, you know, I'm not going to be your supplier. We're going to be partners. Wow. That was kind of the, the beginning of, of the actual Jenkins Barton drum company. And what year was that about? 2010. Okay. And around that time... I think my dad was already friends with uh, John Schwartz, a.k.a. Bermuda Schwartz, Weird Al's drummer. Mm-hmm. And um, Bermuda was a concert con fanatic and, a, you know, loved Hal Blaine and kind of uh, commissioned a kit, a concert con set in, in the style of Hal Blaine. And that was the official, you know, first project of building uh, these new shells under the Blaymeyer slash Jenkins Martin name. Yeah. Hal had a, a seven piece that um, John wanted to add, I think the 15 to it. And he actually, my, my dad didn't, they didn't want to do a 15, but uh, Bermuda talked him into doing it. said, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for whatever the mold is, you know, um, yeah. so I can have that. So anybody who in the future gets a 15 owes it to Bermuda. But right. anyway, they, um, they put that kit together and they built another, uh, like a four piece, one up, two down kit. And debuted those at the 2012 Chicago Drum Show. Mm. And that was kind of the official start. So, wow. And we've been going since then. So the official start 2012, but they, they started developing in 2010. Yeah. Well, once you uh, get sort of the Blameyer shell formula down, uh, what did the manufacturing process then entail? Um, I mean, it sounds like your dad was working on some of this stuff and sort of figuring out, how to how to make some of these shells, but I, it's, that sounds more like he was acquiring the Blameyer shells, and then uh, then Jenkins Martin. It was time. Then you were like, all right, now we need to replicate this, right? Right. And, and so Alan wound these shells in his garage, 
Um, mm. It was a hand crank scenario. You had different sized uh, mandrels, which is a metal tube that they are they're wound from the inside out. Mm. Um, it goes on almost like a a bobbin or a fishing reel. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes back and forth and around. And David experimented with, you know, that stuff and, and was getting it figured out, but at a certain point decided, you know, we've we got to automate this. And, and he actually um, engineered a machine that, wow. um, you know, wound these shells. And, you know, with his background and all this stuff, they're wound under tension, which is part of what creates um, the energy and the uh, resonance that they have. So with wood shells, you have plies. They have their way of, of conforming those shells. And then, you know, mm -hmm. with metal drums, for instance, you'd like pour it into a mold. Or bend it, yeah. yeah or bend it, yeah, exactly. Is there a mold that, that this goes into, or is the spinning the process that, I don't, how does that work? It doesn't go into a mold. So, uh, and we try to explain that to people as much as we can because there is a negative connotation of fiberglass because of, some of the manufacturers and, and their methods of creating it. Um, some of them did have a, a mold that they would kind of uh, take either a, um, a woven mat that mm -hmm. they would impregnate with the, the resin and, and lay it into this form and let mm -hmm. it cure, or um, some would blow it in. I think Pearl would have a blown what's called, excuse me, chopped glass, mm -hmm. uh, which is what you would see on a, a like a boat hole or something. Um, these are, you have a long cylinder and it create it is the interior diameter of the shell gotcha. and so then david has these spools of the filament that come together and they go through a, a comb system that straightens them out and flattens them into a um, kind of a like a ribbon width you know and it goes through a resin bath and then the machine pulls it back and forth across this uh mandrel as it's spinning mm. there's a specified amount of tension put on it and then once he gets it to a certain thickness he cuts that and it goes up into a heating element that helps cure it and then he has to hang that tuba with <laughs> this crazy contraption <laughs> that he built and then it has a collar that goes to the top and like just rips the thing off the the, uh, the cylinder because it, it kind of as it cures it gets really really tight around this cylinder and again and it's also wound under tension you know, um, so mm -hmm. once he pulls that off, he's got, you know, a 20 inch tube of these uh, of this shell material that I can cut up into the various lengths. Wow. He shifts me the tubes. They're about twice as thick as what they end up at um, because the, the process creates kind of a rough exterior. Um, and I have to sand them down, which is uh, an incredible amount of labor, which I'm wow. trying to figure out a machine to help <laughs> me in that in that area. Yeah, right. So they're very different than uh, the typical fiberglass shell. Um, they have a lot more of uh, resonance. They have a lot more, they have a kind of a, a woody musical note to them um, because of how dense the material is and how thin it is. They, they have a lower fundamental note. Right. And because of the way that the fiberglass and the resin, what I understand is that at a certain level, they, become a single unit of material so it's a, it's a true seamless shell and because of the orientation of the the grain in that it carries the sound you know all throughout the shell instead of straight down through it and out of it uh, right which is different than what you would get in a, in a wood drum and wood drums are typically you know 
they typically have a scene. They're typically either uh, a ply that's wrapped around and, and, and lapped and, and cleaned up, or there's a bent one where it's a seam. The only ones that wouldn't would be, the, you know, the crazy hollowed-out log ones. Right. But, you know, those are kind of impractical over time. The wood tends to crack in that, that orientation, so... It was interesting for me because I have an older uh, acrylic kit. I have a Vistalite uh, pre-75. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard you were making fiberglass drums, sort of, I thought, oh, well, I'm assuming like the tonality will be kind of kind of similar. So again, I was really interested to hear it. But when mm-hmm. I heard it, I was like, this is actually, to my ear, more focused yeah. uh, uh, and uh, has m- more low end and and is quite possibly even louder. Yeah. So I was really, I was surprised. I was really was surprised. And uh I mean, have you have you by any chance a bead like an ac- acrylic kit and uh, one of those to ever really hear them? I can I own one, so I knew when I heard it just acoustically without mics, I was like, I know what this drum set's doing. And yeah. I mean, I was damn impressed with it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, I have not. I have not sat down to an acrylic kit in a long time. Yeah. I always wanted one. Um, I always, you know, John Bonham played them, and they just look freaking cool. The first time I sat down to one was after I had played these drums, and I yeah. was disappointed. I, you know, they have a sound that they make, and it it is a cool sound. Uh, they have a very limited, totally spectrum of that. You know, it, when you hit that sweet spot and you get that that everything set right, mm-hmm. if you want that sound, it's perfect. Uh, but there's not much um, there's not much room for variation in, in it. Right, and um, it's more of a, a very very short note mm-hmm. depending on what heads you put them you can get yep. a short note but you, but typically what it does is it, it gives you its tone and then it drops off yeah quicker decay for sure and it's wild too because I've, I've spoken about it as well you know with those older vista lights and like i said mine's pre-75 they were still trying to figure out some things and the the bearing edges aren't the most consistent and uh, yeah. it's they, they were really trying to work it out and as you said uh, i think they are kind of a one-trick pony and they do that one thing really well but i think what's interesting about yeah. your kit is that i think it just uh provides more of a variety and what you can get out of it but uh speaking of of heads has there is there a particular head and of course it's it's uh particular to what you're going for but uh have you found a particular head that you think sounds especially good to your ear on those kits you make because of the the ability of the shells to you know they create a lot of the sound more so than a lot of other drums right you can put just about anything on them but Mm -hmm. that said i do find that on the resonant side the evans EC Rezo, which mm-hmm. is a clear single ply and it's got kind of that painted on stripe around it. Yep. Um, gives the best, you know, combination of, of, of sound on the bottom. And on top, we tend to go with the EC2s, uh, which is a clear two ply mm-hmm. or a G2. Yep. G2, which is a coated two ply. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what we see most on them. If it's a if it's a rock and roll or, or jazz, you know most of those guys are using either the, the single ply or, or two ply coated. Mm-hmm. Um, the the guys like Chris Enriquez and and um, Brian St. Pierre and those guys they're they're using two ply yep. clear heads, but typically EC twos. The edge control you know kind of reigns in the the drums just a little bit. Yeah, you know if you dig into them, they really just start singing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Sounds so good, man. Uh, well, with the uh, Blameyer shells, did you get any info as to what, if he had a particular uh, bearing edge that was preferable? And did that transfer into how, what bearing edges y'all prefer with these, with these drums? 
Yeah, uh, we're fairly limited, actually. You know, I mean, the shell is an eighth of an inch thick. There's not a mm-hmm. whole lot you can do there as yeah. far as variation. And, and But what we saw in general was a what I call a bullnose. It's, you know, a round over on the inside and the outside. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, the only really variation you could do there would be to make a larger outside one and have it just kind of straight on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do is I have a router bit that cuts just a hair over the half of it in the 16th. And I so I cut the inside first and then I cut the outside second and it pushes the it makes the round over slightly larger on the outside of it and doesn't make a peak, but it, it has more of that kind of, um, it's like a mini Camco. It, I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. that one, but, um, so yeah, it's just a, a rounded over, full round over. And, gotcha. um, I, I level that out and make sure that it's, you know, flat across there and, uh, that's it. Yeah. Is that, so is that essentially a, what mo- is most commonly called the reverse round over, and then you just have a little bit of a flat edge on the top of it where the head would sit? Is that what it is? Or is it totally kind of just rounded over? There is just ever so slight flatness to it. Yeah. Uh, primarily because, you know, on such a small scale like that, you you would err towards having the top of the of the shell level mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to get that perfect yeah, round over all the way around. For sure. Um, you know, it's so – by flat, I mean – I couldn't even measure how wide it is. It's so small, but, mm. um, I, I, you know, I round it over, I smooth everything out and I, and I flatten it. And if I have to, I round it a little bit more. Gotcha. It's a process. Yeah, dude. <laughs> sounds like it. But, uh, I obsessed about every one of them. Yeah, man. Well, that, that actually explains a little bit of the, the low end, uh, and between the, 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 what the shells are made of and then, and the tonality mm-hmm. that they have within themselves and that bearing edge, that kind of confirms, I think to me, what my ears were hearing with the, with the low end sure. and the, the warmth of it and the, and the, you know, the whole thing. So that's interesting to hear that. Yeah. They carry, you know, a lower fundamental, fundamental note. And, um, a lot of times I actually encourage people to go, you know, if you feel like if you're torn between a 20 and a 22, get the 20 because, you know, it's smaller and you can set up more stuff around it and, and, yeah. um, it's, it's going to hit like a 22 wood, you know, mm-hmm. we don't ha- currently make a 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't made a built a matter for it, but I always, the people that ask, I say, try the 24. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Uh, and, and, and when Brian St. Pierre was looking at a kit, he was kind of vacillating between a 22 and a 24. And I said, what are you comfortable with? at 22 so he got that and, and you know he was blown away and, and, and bought a full kit nice yeah he spoke very highly of it when i spoke to him as well uh let me ask you this so uh i guess in addition so we've talked kind of about getting the shells together and, and bearing edges and this and that and the other i guess then there's the hardware side of it uh tell me a little bit about the process of determining lugs and rims and you know throws for the snare butt plates etc just the kind of hardware uh assimilation of, of getting those drums together on that end when you go back to the original blamers, like I said, it was um, whatever the builder decided they were going to do. But at a certain point, uh, Alan decided he wanted to, to kind of dip his toes into that mm-hmm. that world and um, started designing his own lugs. And they didn't end up on very many drums. I, I think it was kind of towards the end of his you know time building them. But you can find them, and you know my dad found them. And when it came time to you know get the company put together they decided to um, replicate those. Mm-hmm. So they found a manufacturer, you know, to, to make as high quality as, as long as you can make today. And, and so we have those. 
proprietary lugs. Mm-hmm. As far as the rest of the hardware, like 95% of the other builders in the world, we are basically using whatever you know we can find that fits our needs through um, the drum supply companies mm-hmm. to try and develop our own hoops and, and tom mounts. You know, well, well, eventually we'd like to develop our own tom mounts. Right. But the, the, the upfront costs of those are astronomical. And, mm. and, you know, you have to develop it and make sure that's what you want. Because when they make the mold and it costs you five figures, if you don't like it, well, <laughs> you're out of luck. Yeah, right. Um, so we just basically, you know, make sure that we find the, the, the highest quality that we can get in the hoops and then the, the floor tom legs. And we have, you know, what we are our standard hardware but then we occasionally will uh cater to a customer's needs if they want to do a, a like a rims type mount or something different like that right because uh, we we are a full custom company mm-hmm. so we can do that sort of thing awesome man well uh, out of curiosity i know in looking at just sort of the badge of the drums they appear to be similar but you have the blameyer badge drums and then you have the jenkins martin badge drums from what i from what I, to my eye it just appears that it's the color that's the difference is there a physical difference between the two basically the blameyer drums are the original color the original mix um uh, and only those only those drums can have the blameyer badge it's, it's more of a they all sound the same mm-hmm. it's, it's put that out there but basically the only difference would be in the jenkins martin we incorporate different um coloring agents or uh mica powders or flake uh sparkles like you know that, that kind of stuff in there yeah. into into the resin during the during the process so it's you know it's all the way through the shell mm-hmm. that's the only difference you know anything that that gets that stuff in it then is badged jenkins martin uh, gotcha. and if you look at the blameyer badge it says blameyer Real tiny by Jenkins Martin. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, well, do you have a favorite of what uh, Jenkins Martin has produced thus far? I know I saw a post, a, a recent post, where you were calling something that looked kind of similar in its color to the to the Blameyer thing, and talking about calling it sea glass. Uh, and I love oh, that yeah. color, uh, and it looked like it was slight, maybe slightly translucent as well. Uh, do you have any uh, particular uh, is snare, Tom, the bass drum, any particular thing that you've done where you just you really especially loved it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, several, and I can't, <laughs> this is a major problem because, you know, our choices are almost unlimited because we we have these sources of different um, metallic powders and, and you know, um, flakes and whatnot that we can do, and I, <laughs> I can't settle on one that I want for myself. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, some of the cool ones we've done recently are that clear one, which, uh, you know, I want to make even more clear, more of kind of a, a soda bottle. Right. Kind of look. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's one that's a like a dark gray metallic powder. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's um, awesome. There's one that's kind of a like a moss green metallic. Yeah. They're really cool, cool colors, man. One that I built for myself recently and we did a kit of is basalt, which is actually a different uh, filament. And mm. uh, there's no coloring. We don't add color to it, but the the color of the actual filament strand is a dark um, black, but it has kind of these gold and brown streaks in it. Wow. And it's actually created from a volcanic rock. Whoa. Similar to how you would make glass. They, they, they melt it down and they pull it into a filament strand. Mm-hmm. And so um, made, made a very limited number of those and would like to make more, but it's, it's kind of hard to come by. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. 
And, and you know, the Blameyer color, I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to get sick of it, but I never do. It's, it's just a, I love it. It's a really cool color. And, uh, you know, on stage, it takes whatever color the lights are. Um, it is semi-opaque, you know, so you can kind of mm-hmm. see, see light through it. So um, I just love that color. Yeah. Well, in speaking about, the, I guess, the, the Blameyer uh, design uh, and its association with Hal Blaine, epic uh, drummer. And, of course, you can those listening to this can look at his history with the Wrecking Crew. Uh, and, you know, uh, th- that collective, as well as him, especially played on e- seemingly everyone's albums, just a shocking amount of recordings that he did. Uh, and I would imagine, since he was kind of based primarily out of a studio, a, a single studio for a good bit of that stuff, do you know if a lot of those recordings that he was on, that he was playing, that Blameyer kit? That kit was built in 1967, mm. and at the time, you know, Hal was uh, kind of experimenting with his drums. Uh, had a couple of timbales made into concert toms, or mm-hmm. toms, and loved that sound. And you know, over time, him and his uh, guitar tech, you know, found these shells through a pro drum shop and, and built the kit. Once they, you know, debuted this kit, you know, people went nuts over it, mm-hmm. and we're just demanding, you know, you got to bring this, this big kit. And he actually had two of them built so that because he was jumping around from job to job so quickly that they didn't even have time to move them. Wow. And, you know, a funny story behind that is the some of the studios swore that the, the, the kit number one, the first one that was built, sounded better than the second one. Hmm. And so they were like, you know, you got to bring kit number one. So <laughs> they actually labeled both of them kit number one so that they didn't know and he didn't have to move them as much. But <laughs> nice. um, to answer your question... I've gotten to think that they were on a lot of those recordings because, you know, they're so versatile. And, you know, with that many toms in front of you, whatever sound you're wanting to find, you know, you're going to. Mm -hmm. There are guys um, who would probably know more about what exactly or, you know, what songs are likely to have them on. There's some that are very obvious. um, Yeah. Just from hearing them. Um, But, uh, yeah, they had to. They had to be on just thousands of recordings and, right you know a lot of times people come up to me and they say you know i've never heard these you know what are they and i said well you have you just didn't know it <laughs> yeah, totally. they're, they're all over everything totally and it's 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 interesting because uh, i like to when i was talking to jeremy over at, at q drums i was asking if there was any particular recordings or whatever that he resorted to uh in in design in their drums but it's a totally different thing with you because the drums that you were designing are on thousands of recordings as you say and literally right. if you look at how blaine's wikipedia page he's playing those those toms and like you said they're they're concert toms it's a you know seven eight piece kit or something he's got toms all toms for days right. but uh it's it's a picture of him at the recording or, or at the record plant rather but uh yeah man that's that's cool that you would potentially have that history that preceded the drums that you would inevitably uh, go on to design you know Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's really hard to tell. They were a secret weapon, you know. Um, yeah. Whenever this was going on, you know, they had Ludwig lugs on it. So everyone assumed that they were Ludwigs. And, you know, ah. at the time, there was a lot of players that were kind of sneaking these shells underneath whatever drum company they were playing for mm. um, because they wanted the shell. They heard Hal's kit. But, you know, Slingerland or whoever didn't want them to to be playing somebody else's drums. So you get a guy uh, like Louis Belson had a, a snare that he had wrapped, uh, a Blameyer snare that he had wrapped. I can't remember. It was Rogers, maybe. Yeah. I think it was Rogers. He, he had it wrapped in, you know, a Rogers White Marine Pearl, and he had the Rogers lugs put on it. 
but underneath it all, it was a Blameyer. Wow. Uh, so, you know, uh, who knows what all recordings had these things on them. Totally. Um, without, without having any sort of information about that. Yeah. Wow, man. Dennis Wilson had, you mm. know, a kit made for him, and it was set up in his studio for a long time, and, and tons of people went to that studio and, and, you know, but, you know, no one writes down or takes pictures of what's going on in there. Sure. It's really hard to tell, but they're out there. Wow, man. What are y'all using for rims generally on, on the toms and, and even the snares? Are are y'all doing uh die cast on one and not the other or doing flanged, uh, sort of standard flange, triple flanged, I guess is one of the more common ones. We're typically, we're doing the, the heavier 2.3 millimeter triple flange. Gotcha. Uh, that's just standard. Mm-hmm. And then we are getting, we're starting to get some requests for the die cast um, because, you know, guys like uh, Brian and uh, Jason Gherkin, you know, have been putting those on there and, and to great effect. So um, mm. because of that, we are starting to get some requests and, and yeah, we'll put, we'll put those on there. In those instances, were they talking more about having die cast on the snare and the regular, the triple flange that you're using on the toms or die cast across the board? Well, initially, um, initially just the snare, but uh, Brian has gone to doing them all across the whole kit. Wow. And But, you know, that guy, he hits drums. I know. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've been in the same room with him in, in an acoustic <laughs> drum set, but God, it's unbelievable. I, when I first took a kit over to his house, went to his living room, and I'm kind of setting the, the kit around him, and he's talking, you know, he hits this, the, the rack tom, a 12-inch rack tom next to my head, and I thought a cannon had gone off. You know, the guy just oh my god annihilates drums. And, and um, I remember seeing his snare after the, they did a show in, in Tolano, and, you know, the, the head is just caved in, you know, after one Jesus, show. Jesus, that's crazy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he, it's insane. So it, it was kind of a match made in heaven, you know. Right. These drums initially, you know, a lot of, Guys who were into Hal Blaine and, and the older, you know, kind of vintage drum thing were into them. But, mm-hmm. you know, once I started hearing them, I thought, man, you know, these things are so loud and so, yeah. but I have, you know, this character to them. I, I got to get these to the to the heavy hitters out there. And yeah. as they get a hold of them, they're just loving them. You know, you, you put a guy like Chris Enriquez behind this kit and it's, you know, it's deadly. Totally. That's when I heard it. I was like, well, God damn, <laughs> that shit sounds <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Oh, man, that is so cool. I, I mean, in Brian's case, because he's such a smasher, uh, I could see him putting mm-hmm. die cast on, on everything. But for the Toms in, in particular, uh, I think the resonance is, is already so good and the decay is already there. For me personally, I wouldn't add to it. So to, in my mind, right. I think doing the triple flange would be the way to go, especially on the Toms. And it sounds like that's what y'all do. And that's what sure. I've heard. And it sounded great. So it, uh, it all makes sense. Uh, well, you as a drummer, man, uh, what's your story? It sounds like your dad was into drums. You, uh, you have a brother as well that's that's involved with the company i'm assuming was into drums you sound like a drumming family what was uh what was your life like growing up was there was there just drums everywhere what's going on here <laughs> yeah well my parents were divorced fairly early and you know my dad was a drummer and my mom was not <laughs> yeah and i always wanted drums you know because dad had them but she wouldn't let me get them you know she she kind of uh, she, you know she encouraged my musical side i got a guitar Mm-hmm. But um, I only got to play the drums when I went to dad's house. But um, right. I had the, the typical, you know, five-year-old Tupperware drum set. And, you know, I, I got really good at air drums. Yeah. <laughs> really good. <laughs> and um, 
it was something that I always enjoyed doing, you know, but I ended up kind of playing guitar more mm -hmm. and playing drums when I could. I never got to have my own kits, but I was in a lot of bands, you know, I, I played music a lot and right. I was constantly annoying my drummers by in between songs, you know, pushing them out of the seat and playing their drums. <laughs> yeah. So I got to play and in some of our bands, you know, we would do fun little shows and where we switched instruments and I yep. always demanded I was the drummer. Yeah, of course. And um, as I started helping, you know, my dad build these drums, I eventually started getting my own stuff. One of my old drummers had a kit laying around that I just kind of snagged for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, my first personal kit didn't really happen until about 2011. Wow. Um, Look at you. I, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You were around so, them constantly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, they were just always kind of there, too. If I go to my dad's house, he had two or three drum sets set up. Yeah. So, but just being a musician, I've always had them around. And now that, you know, I have my own all over the place, I my guitar is collecting dust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, uh, did you uh, did you or your brother, did any of y'all go to the school for engineering or anything like that? Or was it just kind of a learn-on-the-job, trial-by-fire? Yeah, well, um, my dad and myself are, are, uh, are both uh, mechanically inclined, mm -hmm. naturally or through our environment. Yeah. Uh, I, at an early age, started doing woodworking. Uh, I was a carpenter. Uh, ran a, a woodworking and, and cabinet shop for 20 years. Wow, there you go. And so, you know, when he was developing these drums, he was, you know, mechanically inclined as well, but he would still, you know, kind of hit me up for advice on, you know, how do I drill this? I'm having this problem. This is cracking, mm -hmm. et cetera. And, and I would, you know, kind of walk him through that. He sent me a few shells to mess around with. And coincidentally, at the time, I was taking an interest in building drums. I was looking at building wood. I, I didn't have fiberglass around me mm -hmm. and i took a few attempts at making them but you know that that outside of making stave drums you know uh, making wood shells is a is a whole different ball game it, oh yeah you know, dude. It, it's really hard to make that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and once i heard these i kind of lost interest in that <laughs> but um yeah you know I, I went out there and started helping them and it, it did kind of come naturally to me because I, I had that background of working with my hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it came real natural. And, and, you know, after a while, you know, he, my dad was, was dealing with cancer. And um, mm -hmm. when he was building them, at a certain point, he wasn't able to do it anymore. Yeah. The orders were kind of stacking up. And I, I told him one day, I said, you know, well, I'm going to come out there and get that the tools from you. <laughs> Just start yeah. doing it. Wow. And he said, come on out. Come get them, you know. Mm. And he never wanted to ask me to do it. He didn't, you know, want to put that on me. Mm -hmm. But I love doing it. It's just a completely random set of circumstances that led to me ending up doing this yeah. as a career. But I love it. It's been kind of amazing uh, meeting some of my, you know, favorite drummers through all this. Sure. Um, it, you know, the uh, the drum community is is so wonderful. You know, I, I call some of these people up out of the blue. And, and they just, you know, they just want to talk shop for an hour. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been great. Nice. And um, I, I want to keep doing it, and we want to keep developing newer and, and, and better drums, and um, but keep that kind of pure shell technology at the core of it. 
Absolutely. That is, uh, that is your hallmark and it is super unique and yeah. sounds awesome and it looks beautiful. So as far as I can tell, you're firing on all cylinders, uh, in that regard. So, uh, definitely, uh, best of luck going forward, especially, uh, in these kind of trying times, but, uh, I think the product yeah. is there and, and, uh, I, I ho- definitely hope more people can uh, get their hands on them, uh, and, uh, and check them out cause they definitely sound and look amazing. So congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, man. Well, Scott, uh, it was good talking to you, man. Thanks for running me through the the history of the company and uh, telling me about your, your family ties to it and the, the how Blaine and Blaymeyer and all of that intertwined and all of it. It was a cool journey. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to catch up soon. If I'm ever uh, in your neck of the woods, uh, I'll have to catch up with you. I'd love to see some of this stuff in person, man. It's uh, super fascinating. Yeah, stop by. Right on, man. Great talking to you. And uh, we'll talk soon, man. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody, thanks for hanging as always. Always appreciate the repeated listens. And if you are new to this, then I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Scott Jenkins for rapping. And uh, and one of these days, plan on getting my hands on at least a snare, if not a whole kit. What, and what a great story it was here in the history of it all. We'll catch you all in the next one. Crash, bang, boom!